which is always good. <laughs> Hi and welcome. Um, special welcome to, to, to Hilary, who's going to be um, chatting a bit this evening. Hilary, do you want to just tell us a bit about who you are and, uh, and what, you, what you do? Okay. Well, at the moment, uh, home is Wareham. Home has always been Wareham. And um, having finished Curacy, oh, getting on for a year ago now, I was licensed back to Wareham as schools worker, which I have been, in fact, for the last 10 years, but also as a pioneer. So um, that's where I am in terms of church. In terms of the rest of me, I'm someone who loves being outside. Um, that's been a gift during lockdown. The garden mm -hmm. has absolutely been what's kept me sane, like a lot of other people. But my passion for outdoors goes a bit deeper than that. So as well as being an Anglican priest, I'm a climate activist. I'm a third order Franciscan and very much hold to the Franciscan view of all of creation as brother and sister. So um, that very much informs how I see the natural world and how I care for it. And uh, as a Franciscan, I'm what's called our area advocate for creation, justice and peace. And those things, like for so many Christians, are really important. So um, that, that's part of who I am. Is that good for starters? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I always find that question's a bit of a strange one because someone will, will say, who are you? And you think, well, there's just so much of who I am that trying to stick that into a couple of sentences is almost impossible, really. But um, yeah, I just want to pick up on um, a couple of things. Really. One of the things you said about was the, the Franciscan thing. You've also, you've also spoken at one, an event we did for the School of Mission a long time ago about about intercession and, and prayer as well as that being a big big part of your of who you are that that prayer that prayer stuff is there anything you want to say on on the, the role yeah, of being well, an intercessor sure um so quite a few years ago i came across a phrase and i really can't remember where i found it so if anybody who's listening knows do let me know and it said that everything that is not born in prayer is born in pride mm. And that, that really struck home with me. It's really stayed with me ever since that everything that we should do, everything that we do needs to be founded on prayer. I think we have a tendency as Christians maybe, and you can argue with this if you like, that we come up with a good idea and we start something and then we ask God to bless it mm. rather than mm. to start with starting from the place of here i am lord what do you want me to do in your name in this place what have you got for me and for, for the people around me here and um i've been really thinking about that a lot since september when i was licensed back to wareham as a pioneer because um anybody who's a pioneer knows you have ideas you've always got bright ideas mm. and I'm trying really hard at the moment not to let my ideas take over so that I don't inflict my good ideas on other people, but just stay close to God and let things grow, hopefully, maybe even from someone else's idea. Yeah. I, I, have, I always have this dilemma. Um, I don't know, maybe you have the same dilemma. Is, is my good idea God speaking to me? Or is it just the fact that I've had too much cheese or something? You know, is it working out the, the, the what is what is what is my creativity and what is God speaking? I think it's often something I've, I've often found hard to hard to work out, <laughs> which is which is what? 
it can be really difficult. I've, I've got a great friend who very often, when, when you're kind of expounding some idea, he'll just look at you and say, so is this a good idea or is it a God idea? Yeah. And I think certainly for me, that's the moment when you need to stop and yeah. not carry on with what you're doing, but just, just spend some time sitting with that thought, you know, is this you, God? Or is this just me? And yeah. gathering a few other people around to, to help you work that out. Because, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not easy to tell the difference sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And, um, and so, so how does pioneering affect... So, yeah, sorry, how, the, um, the, the praying and intercession stuff and pioneering, I get, it's, often, it's often interesting because you often hear lots of people talk a lot about what we actually do, the physical stuff, but actually where it's birthed from I think it's so important. I remember I had a job interview. Actually, it wasn't the one I did go for the a job at Wareham, but it was it wasn't that interview. <laughs> um, I just 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 hastened to just hastened to add. Um, but they they asked me a lot about about leadership, and I and I was like, well, however good a leader you are, the the bigger question I think is who you're following. Actually, you, if you if you're not following Jesus, you can be you can be the best leader in the world, but actually, it, you're not going anywhere. So there's almost that sort of thing about where are we rooted. I think is, is the, is, for me, is the important part of, of working out um, where we, where we pioneer from. Yeah, I, th I think you're, you're really right. I was re reading something from um, New Zealand, I think, about spiritual direction not long ago. But I think it works in all sorts of other contexts as well. And it talks about how the important thing in spiritual direction is that you tend your own fire so that when somebody walks past wherever your fire is, you, you're ready to invite them to join you. And uh, I, I think intercession, pioneering, wh whatever you're doing, actually, mm -hmm. uh, you're quite right. You need to tend your own fire, tend your own relationship with Jesus. And, and everything else will grow out of that because mm -hmm. God honours that. Mm, I think that's I think that's true. You also said something a, a while back about with it with the Franciscan pioneering stuff about there's some story I can't quite remember it, but I remember thinking it was brilliant and now I've forgotten it. Um, about you having um, taking communion with with grubby nails or something. Can, can, can you can you remember the story? Oh, that that was that was a really special experience. So, well, one of my happy places is um, Hillfield Friary, and I was up there for a week. This is a couple of years ago now. And it was in the summer. And one of the things that I love to do when I'm up there in the days when we were allowed to be there and just join in with the community was to be out in the garden. And very often they will invite visitors to be part of the midday Eucharist doing the reading or something like that. And um, I'd been invited to be the reader that day. So uh, life at the Friary is regulated by bells and this is really useful because it means you don't have to keep an eye on your watch or anything. So I was out in the garden. I usually wear flip-flops in the summer so my feet were filthy because we had been shoveling muck that morning and my hands were dirty. I'd actually managed to pick up a couple of blisters. I'd been working so hard um, and under my fingernails was also incredibly grubby. And the, the warning bell for Midday Eucharist went. So that means you, you've got about 10 or 12 minutes to get to the right place at the right time. And I thought, oh, I'd, I'd better go and uh, clean up a bit and get ready. But nobody else who was working in the garden was moving. And several of the brothers were out there. So I knew that they were going to be at the Midday Eucharist. So I thought, well, they're not going anywhere yet. 
maybe I don't need to. So I carried on with, with what I was doing, got a little bit grubbier in the next 10 minutes and um, managed to, to find the time to, to wash my hands. But as you probably know, that doesn't really get the dirt out from under your fingernails. And um, I le left my incredibly muddy flip-flops at the door of the chapel and went in in bare feet. And first of all, reading, reading the scriptures when you're really aware of your muddy feet and then later on standing to receive the Eucharist and holding out your hands and seeing on the palms of your hands the blisters and being really aware of the dirt under your fingernails. And for me, that sense of connection with, with everything was just huge. Total awareness of the presence of God, but also the memories of the garden, the awareness of the connection with creation. It was, uh, it, it was just a magic moment, actually. It was really special. Thank you for reminding me. I'd kind of forgotten yeah. about it, <laughs> Re reliving it all over again. I guess that, that's almost, a, I guess it's quite a pic powerful picture of metaphor really as well about, you know, what it means to, ha to, 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 to have broken and blistered hands when we come to, uh, uh, sorry, broken, blistered and muddy hands when we come, come and meet with Jesus. Well, it, it what, does, was, what, does, what does that mean in? Yeah, it, in, it's, uh, it's something that I thought about a lot in, in the months after that, actually, because when you come and you've actually got dirt under your fingernails, it connects you with what you're doing now in receiving the bread and wine, what you've been doing all morning in the garden. It connects all the bits of your life. And I spent a lot of time reflecting on what, what's the dirt under my fingernails that I bring when I come to communion now. Um, and when, when I was priested, you know, we, we, we still tend to some extent to kind of dress up for Sunday mornings for church, don't we? You, you wouldn't really think about coming straight from the garden and having muddy feet and dirty fingernails. And yet we still come bringing some of that sort of reality with us. We, we come still with the connections um, of, of the rest of our lives, but we just don't see it quite as easily. I guess I'm still thinking about what it does mean, what the dirt under the fingernails is that, uh, that I bring to a normal Sunday morning service, if you like. That's interesting, yeah. And so, T tell us a little about what it means to be schools worker um, in and, and pioneer and sort of with that in that sort of pioneering role because I'm a little bit biased because obviously I do a similar similar job but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there's a lot of pioneering in schools work full mm. stop actually um, schools I find tend to be really creative places so, certainly nowadays I think they were probably less so when I was at school but um, certainly the schools I work in, they're really up for somebody coming and saying, I've got this idea, could we try that? Or letting the children come and say, we've got this idea, could we do this? And it's, it's a great place for, for just thinking slightly differently. Um, in a way, it's surprising because schools have so many things that they have to do, records they have to keep, the statistics are really important. But certainly my experience has been that they are incredibly creative and pioneering places, and that's a gift. And um, I have to say, I mean, talking at the moment, lockdown altogether 
in a way has been a gift. I know lots of people have struggled through it and it's come with its challenges for all of us. But actually it also came with the gift of we can't do it the way that we've always done it, whatever the it is, whether it's schools work or church or whatever. So what, what are we going to do with, with this opportunity to, to have to rethink? It's quite exciting, it's quite exciting isn't it, to, to suddenly realise that we can't go back as it, as, it, as, it, as it was. And actually, interestingly, with lockdown, also the planet got a bit healthier, didn't it? You know, with people stopped driving around and all that sort of stuff, which again ties in with your other, with your other, other passion, your... Your, your, your green climate activist thing, which I think we, um, part of you, which I think we, we, we've talked to you before about, but um, how, yeah. again, do, do you want to just share a bit about how that all links in with? with oh, it, it, it really, it really does tie in with that. So um, little little bit of background for anybody who hasn't heard this before. So I, I'm someone who, who grew, up, grew up with um, a mum who was into things environmental so I grew up growing food helping her run eco courses by the time I was a teenager I'm now married to someone who is an ecological contractor so care of creation has been part of my DNA right from the pet wood lice on the patio when I was about three and it's carried on ever since and um, so in, in terms of being a climate activist I suppose I became aware quite a while ago, partly because of my husband's work and the way that he talks, that the way that we live, we, in the West, the richer bit of the world, it's not sustainable. We can't carry on like this forever. So I started doing what a lot of other people do. And I wrote to my MP um, quite a lot. I still write to him quite a lot. Um, signing petitions, always a good thing to do. And then a couple of years ago, I got to the place of thinking, I'm fed up with this. It feels to me like people are patting me on the head and saying, there, there, you run away and play, we'll sort it out. And actually seeing nothing happen. Mm. And I didn't really know what to do with that, to be honest, for a while. And then into the middle of that feeling, I became aware of Extinction Rebellion. And through that, I became aware of Christian climate action and realized that there were a lot of other Christians who were thinking the same way as me. And um, so I went off to a protest in London. And um, it, yeah, everything kind of changed for me at that protest because um, I'd gone with the intention of working in the kitchen for a couple of days and feeding people. You, when you sign up for Extinction Rebellion, you can, you can put yourself in a particular category. You can sign up to do things if you want to. And I quite like to have something to do and feeding people is good. Mm. One of the things that people most often think about with XR is people who are going to be arrested. And I wasn't going to do that. I signed up as a non-arrestable person, but mm. I did read and devour every bit of information about what you should do and what would happen if you were arrested. So in retrospect, perhaps I knew where this was heading, even though I hadn't signed up for it. Anyway, lots of things happened. It was really great. There was a thing called the Faith Bridge, which was people of all different faiths. We were listening to some inspiring speakers. We were, we were occupying Lambeth Bridge at the time because the intention was to disrupt in order to raise the profile of the conversation 
And I know not everybody will agree with that tactic and that, that's fine. We, we all do, do things differently. Um, anyway, the, the, the point arrived when um, the police arrived to move us from a particular place. And um, I sat down in the road rather than walking away. I watched as the police came through the crowd and took away the kitchen where I had been going to be based for the next two or three days. And, 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 and something in me just changed at that point. So not long after that, a very nice young police officer called Josh, who I still pray for, um, came and squatted down in front of me. And he was really helpful because he said, why are you doing this? And I said, I'm doing this because I believe the science that says that we have, well, it was then 10, so I guess now it's nine, nine years to, to turn the climate emergency around. And I said, I do not want one day my children or maybe my grandchildren to come to me and to say, you knew, we remember you talking about this, you knew, now it's all gone pear-shaped, why did you not do something? At least this way, I will be able to look them in the eye if it does all go pear-shaped and say I did what I could. I genuinely did what I could. And um, he, he, said, he said again, you know, I, I have to tell you, I'm going to ask you once more to move. And if you don't, I'm going to arrest you. Do you understand? So I assured him that I did understand. And he asked me once more if I would move. And the thought that went through my head at that point was... If I walk away now, it's as if I will be saying to the whole world, if it cares to be looking, that I care about my personal safety more than I care about the rest of the more than I care about climate justice for the places of the world where people are already dying because of this. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't walk away any longer. So I didn't walk away and he arrested me. Um, there, there's a whole pile more sort of God stuff that, that went on um, in the next 23 hours until I was released. Um, I have rarely felt as close to God as I did kneeling on the floor, having just been locked in a prison cell, in, in a police cell. Um, that, that, that's where it got me to. And I think it's, for me, it's very biblical you know, we, as Christians, we follow Jesus. He was someone who spoke truth to power and was executed because of it. Mm. That's the person that I follow. There are lots of biblical precedents for people who stuck up for the gospel. Um, Paul, you know, he spent lots of time in prison, didn't he? Mm. Because of his faith in Jesus. And um, that's why I chose to do what I did because of the person that I follow it's for me it's it's a justice issue mm. it's wrong that the way that i choose to live my life um negatively impacts people in other parts of the world mm. and uh, no I, I don't just sit in, in the middle of roads and, and get arrested i try and change my lifestyle so that what i'm saying goes with what i'm doing it, it needs to match up and i am by no means perfect no, none of us are there's some um, an American poet and activist called Wendell Berry, right. who talks about uh, a meeting of, um, oh, how does he put it? But a, a, a meeting of like climate activists um, isn't a meeting of the righteous, it's a convocation of the guilty. 
and, and for me, I, I, I just love that. You know, none of us can get it all right. We just can't. Um, but we can get together and do what we can. And being a Franciscan for me really, really feeds into that. There are lots of things in the, the principles that I promise to live by as a third order Franciscan that tells me that I should be doing these sorts of things. So I'm doing it my way. Different people, different things, though. It's not for everyone. Brilliant. Has anyone, else, has anyone got a question for, for Hillary? Um, John, anyone want to? It's a third order Franciscan. Ah. As opposed to a first or second order. Or okay. Fourth so, order. <laughs> I, did, I didn't prompt him beforehand, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Franciscans, just for anybody else who doesn't know, there was a guy called Francis who lived in Italy in the uh, 12th century. And um, he accidentally started an order which um, they, the, the idea, the main idea was living simply, being as much like Jesus as possible. They talk about lady poverty and um, walking lightly on the earth, sharing the gospel. And um, when the orders started happening, the brothers who came to join Francis were the first order. And then a female friend of Francis, who we now know as St. Clair, she wanted to live like him as well. But obviously at that point, the boys and the girls don't go off on their own and do things like that together. So um, Claire started the, what we now know as the poor Claire's, the, the, um, and they were an enclosed order. So Franciscan, Franciscan friars traveled around sharing the gospel and, uh, and, and doing good works. The sisters stayed as an enclosed order in one place and they were the second order. And then as Francis and the other brothers traveled around Italy, they came across lots of people who really identified with that way of living simply, but weren't in a position to leave their families and go and, go and join with what Francis was doing. And so that was when Francis and a couple of these other people um, came up with the idea of the third order, which is a way of living as a Franciscan, but still living in your, your normal everyday circumstances. So you could do it and have a job at the same time. You could do it and be a parent and bring up a family, but you would still take vows that promised to try and live a particular style of life. Um, and that's still how it is today. So there, there are friaries where the brothers live across the world. There are convents where the sisters live. I think there's only one Anglican Franciscan convent in this country. And there are an ever increasing number of third order Franciscans because a lot, lot more people are starting to identify with this, this way of trying to live lightly on the earth and having a deep respect for other people in relationships and being up for sharing the gospel in, in whatever way is right for each of us. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> did that answer the question, John? Yeah, that, it did very, 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 in great detail. I'm delighted to hear from you. The, um, the other question is, do, do, the, do the third order Franciscans meet uh, on a regular basis or are you left as your, to your own devices? Uh, no, so um, 
Everyone who is a third order Franciscan belongs to a local group. So I belong to the Pool and Wareham group. There are, oh, I don't know. I think there are about 16 of us at the moment. There are other groups in Dorchester, Blandford. Um, there's another one. There, there, are, there are a lot of local groups. And then a certain number of local groups will form into an area. So our four nearest groups form the Blackmore Vale area. <coughs> and um, so as a local group, we'll meet about once a month. As an area, we will meet twice a year. And usually once a year or once every two years, there will be wider meetings. So yes, it, it's just like the first and second order. It's very much about community. Right. So how did you come to join the third order? What was the, what was the, uh, were you a, 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 um, uh, a, a priest beforehand or, or were you ordained beforehand or not? No, <clears throat> no, my, my journey with the Franciscans go, goes back quite a long time actually. So about having been brought up on, <coughs> oh dear, hope you can edit this bit out Andy. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> we'll have a go, we'll have a go. <laughs> um, having been a church goer all my life, I had a bit of a, um, a conversion experience, uh, where are we, about 15 years ago now, which, which changed everything. And at the time I was part of the Methodist church and a lovely lady at my Methodist church, when this happened, she said, um, you're going to need people to look after you. I had no idea what she meant. I get it now. And um, she, she, she said, do you know? And then she named a particular person. And I said, no, never heard of him. And she said, um, he's someone who prays. Do you mind if I ask him to put you on his prayer list? And I said, no, that's, that's fine. Um, and then about six months later, I was at a Lent lunch in the Methodist chapel in Wool. And this guy who I knew I'd never met before walked through the door and we looked at each other across the room and we both went, you're, aren't you? And that was the start of a friendship that continues to this day. But that friend turned out to be a third order Franciscan. Oh. And what I was also experiencing at that time was that the Eucharist had got much more important to me than it ever had before. And I started going with this new friend to the midweek Eucharist at the local Anglican church in Wool. And after that, we would go down the road to the pub and sit and drink copious quantities of coffee until lunchtime. And he introduced me to Franciscan spirituality. And, and after that, God was very good and brought all sorts of people um, into my path that, that just kind of grew that until... Actually, when I started curacy, so this is only three years ago, I discovered that the local Franciscan group met at my church and that five members of that group were part of my congregation, at which point I had one of those moments that we've all had where I just went, okay, God, I get it. I'll do it. All right. I've done those about becoming a vicar, but yeah. <laughs> okay, God, you, you keep on saying it. I guess I'll have to do it, but yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting when I was at college we had uh, one of our lecturers um, a guy called Howard Worsley he's actually now married to the Bishop of um, Taunton um, he um, 
yeah, he was a real inspiration to us, really. And he was a third order Franciscan. And um, yeah, just was really inspirational, really, because it, it was, yeah, just thinking about things in a really different way and actually really lived it out in a, in a way that was just really exciting. I had, I had you know, I, I kind of had a very false idea of, of, of what it would be. I thought it'd be very sort of floaty and sort of, you know, um, disconnected from real, real life. But Howard, it was very much like your gritty nails thing. It was really sort of real and earthy and organic. And I was like, yeah, that's, 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 something, I, that's something I want. So yeah, he really, really inspired me. I'm not, I'm not a third order Franciscan, but I, I sort of, yeah, I, I, I certainly think there's a lot in monasticism that I am I'm quite drawn to. Um, I also wonder whether there's something about the, um, what's the word? Almost the fact that actually some of the, there's, there's so much wisdom in our, in our heritage that I think we forget, we forget that actually, you know, God's been doing stuff for years and actually there's lots of stuff to, <laughs> that we've got to, that we've got, we've got to learn from the people who've gone before us really. Oh, a, a huge amount. And especially I, I think from the monastic tradition, the mm. ideas of simplicity, stability, which is very much a um, Benedictine thing. Um, rhythms of life rhythms of prayer yeah so so much there so much yeah and yeah um one thing that i think especially as an evangelical type in my background we know very we, we often know very little about the sort of saints and celtic christians and stuff you know you know we, we probably have lots of bible studies on good bible people but actually i i, I realized my church history was really was really limited i did i knew you know very little about it <laughs> Has anyone else got any questions they want to ask? Ask Hillary. You got any other, any other starters for starters for ten? <laughs> yeah. I'd be really interested to know about your um, schools work and the green and the green stuff you, that you do. And because one of the things I find quite interesting is how passionate some young people are about all things climate change. You know, and. I'd be interested to see if there's a, do you find there's a, a real overlap in those two, in those two passions? For, for me, absolutely. So I'm, the schools that I go into, I'm very fortunate in that they have outdoor spaces. So one of them has a spiritual garden and um, that provides all sorts of opportunity. So very often if I'm, taking a kids club or something like that we will go outside and do it and uh, I think I see more opportunity for that coming out of lockdown mm. actually because I don't think all the social distancing type stuff is going to go away immediately although I would love it to do that mm. but um, so it's so obviously working outside has got huge potential and um, I think that that sense of connection with God through creation is something that our young people really get. Mm. Um, I think there's a huge missional opportunity there as well because it's important to them. I think it's somewhere, you know, the way that so many people think the church is irrelevant, but actually if they see that the church and they care about the same thing, then that there is huge opportunity for connection there. Mm. Um, but, but schools, yeah, I mean, using, using outdoor spaces is brilliant, but also being in the place to be able to, um, I'm not sure capitalize is quite the, the right word, 
But um, so a, a story that this went out in the, um, the diocesan newsletter, the, the grapevine last year. I'm sure everybody knows about Greta Thunberg and her school strike thing. And um, so that, that spread and there were lots of schools who were doing climate strikes on a Friday. And one of my primary schools, they have an eco club. Now, obviously, you're not going to encourage a bunch of primary school children to walk out of school on a Friday and go somewhere else. That's not a runner. But they'd heard about it and they wanted to do something. So I went in to talk to them a little bit about it at the invitation of the parents who were running the club. And what the children put together was... Um, they, they went to ask the, the head if they could do this, and he said yes. So they chose a particular time during the week when a bell would be rung and any child in the school who felt it was important to look after the planet was allowed to politely stand up and leave their class and go to the hall. And for about 10 minutes, the eco club put on they'd put together their own presentation with some pictures and things about why they felt it was important to look after the planet and we we had a bit of a song and they'd asked me to do a prayer because their perception was it's all tied up with with what god tells us to to do with the planet and that was great because it had come from them it hadn't been the way that, that i'd put it to them um and 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 it was great. So as I say, it, it's just a, the young people get it, and it's good that they do because it's the world that they're going to be living in. Mm. So it it does all connect for me, and I, th I think we have a, a huge opportunity with it. As I say, to be missional as well. Mm. I was talking to a guy called Greg. Valeria, I think he's called. I don't know if you come across him. He's um he runs this quite interesting project down by Brighton, um called St Columbus Barn, I think it's called. And okay. he and he was talking about um how they end up doing quite a lot of theology by by talking about and sharing with people that just the the, the work they do with the ground and just the the the, the um, looking after animals and dethorning brambles and stuff. And you know as they talk about sort of just ordinary farming stuff, they're actually realizing that actually that people are thinking in a in a theological way. There's lots of gospel truths that are just um, relevant in nature. And um, and he used the quote from um, from St Paul, which I'm going to misquote now. It's in Romans about um, that through creation God's um, presence is is visible. So people have no excuses. But that's paraphrasing it a little bit. In fact, misquoting it probably a little bit, but it's it, it, that's more or less the gist of it anyway. So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true though. And if if you look <clears throat> if you look further back through the Bible, right right from the start of Scripture, um, people and the land are joined together. There, there's no separation. So if you look at um, Genesis three, when Adam and Eve have to leave the garden, and it's a case of God saying not only are you two in trouble because of what you've done, but because of you, the ground is cursed. Because of you, thorns and weeds are going to grow and you're going to have to get those out in order to make it, to make it good land again. And then um, later on, you get the, oh, that famous verse that I'm, I'm just as bad as you at quoting chapter and verse. Um, but um, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray, 
and that then I, I will forgive them, forgive my people and heal their land. Mm. And all the way through scripture, it's the people and the land, the people and the land. And I think, I think the early church kind of po post, um, post Constantine, the church did an awful lot of damage in separating people from the land when it all became about personal salvation. I think we lost something about the connection of people and land and about people connection, something about community. Mm. And I think now people are starting to see that again and want to get back there because it's that, that there's somebody who says church is answering questions that people are not asking, that the church thinks people are asking, what should I believe? And what people are actually asking is how should I live? And I think if we get back into thinking about community and back into seeing the relationship between people and land, we're more likely to be looking at the question of how should I live rather than just making it a more, a more personal, what should I believe? There's something quite interesting about the full story as well in Genesis 3, that the idea of the people fell out of relationship with God, fell out of relationship with each other and fell out of relationship with the planet. And actually, we often forget that Jesus, you know, obviously Jesus restores the relationship between us and God, but they also gives us the challenge to, to think about the relationship with each other, which I think deliberately does make that sort of cross thing. And also the, the relationship with the land as well, you know, and actually it's, you know, um, if, you know, so when we think of the, the cross and we think of the fall, actually we think they're all connected. It's all that part. And actually that idea of um, Tom White often talks about the kingdom of God, which actually includes, includes, each other and and earth and everything you know it's all part of the kingdom may god's kingdom come on earth as in heaven is, is much more a bigger a bigger picture than just saving souls which is yeah and and it's it's very like what francis says as well so towards the end of his life he saint francis wrote um a really famous poem apparently the first poem uh, in the italian vernacular uh, which is called the Canticle of the Creatures. And in it, he talks about all of creation as brother and sister. So there's brother sun and sister moon, brother fire and sister water. And um, I think that's a place that we're getting back to. And that actually lockdown has given to a lot of people is having the time to stop and reconnect and, and maybe to start seeing kingdom rather than just kingdom. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I have got something that's just sort of uh, trundling along in the back of my mind is um, I know there are a lot of people who um, believe that we are one with the, the universe, they call it. And it's, I think they kind of like really leave God out of the equation because they're saying that. Um, you know, I put things out to the universe and I believe that it will manifest itself if I want it enough or if it's the right thing. Mm. Um, so is it, what, what do you think about that? I mean, is it is simply, I mean, to me, it's simply, it seems quite simple that God is the creator God and that he is the one with the power, whereas the universe and the earth doesn't actually have power of its own because it's God who sustains it. Mm. I mean, is that, too simple and naive what's your viewpoint on that i i'm entirely with you that there, there is a god 
for me there is a god who is the creator um he created at the beginning he continues to create i think <laughs> oh it's 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 really difficult to, to sort of say it without sounding a bit damning of someone else's worldview i think mm. different people look at it in different ways I think those people who talk about putting things out to the universe, they are still acknowledging that there is something that is outside themselves, something that's bigger than themselves, something that can do things that they can't do. Mm, they just true. don't mm. give it the same name that we do. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's a really good God, point. Thank you. They're not mm. giving him his name, I guess. They're sort of, mm. yeah. So, you know, I, I've got friends who have all sorts of different faiths and worldviews. And apart from those who are actively atheist, most of them have some sort of sense that there is something beyond us. That there is... I, I had a, a Franciscan friend who, who died a couple of years ago, and he used to say, there is always more than... And I think the vast majority of people think there is something that is more than more than us, more than simply what we see, something that's that's bigger and beyond. It's just we all call it different things. Mm. It's not a bad place to start a conversation, I guess, as well. You know, just if you're in, yeah. Very good place to start a conversation. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing from a, a medical point of view is that uh, um, our bodies, uh, we've developed our bodies in a particular way and made use of some of our uh, 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 facilities or gifts, but um, we haven't made use of them all. In other words, our bodies have been produced for something much more than what we're doing at the present. Uh, if you take all the discoveries that are taking place in relation to uh, to how the, how the, uh, how you can discover things through through medical science and and what the brain is capable of it, it, we, we we've been developed for a much greater uh, uh, abilities than we've actually developed so far wow, that's, that's such an exciting idea who knows what we'll do in the future that's right that's right but but our bodies uh, seem to have only been used for sort of uh, 70% of its capacity in, in, in that sense. So why, why have we been produced in that way? That's, that's really the question. Well, God must have produced us to enable us to develop uh, much more than we've actually developed so far. I guess it, it's that thing, isn't it? That, that God is always beyond us. His ways are not our ways. And uh, I guess bit, bit by bit, we discover, we discover bits of that more than perhaps. Yeah. More than is a really kind of quite exciting place to, to sort of almost come into come into land with. With um, thank you so much, Hilary. That's 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 been mm. brilliant and lots lots to think about as well. Um, then we've got a final final question, or or, or should we just wrap up with a the present? I've got a. It's good seeing every now and again. You see the cat just appearing very slightly across your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, she she she's there. She's actually um when I got priested and you have to have a white stole made as a nod to being a Franciscan, my cat and a hedgehog are actually on my stole. <laughs> oh. no, it was really interesting. Thank you, Hilary. I mean, it's it was, just yeah. some really food for thought and uh, yeah. yeah, really interesting. Thank you. Well, thank you for letting me talk. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thank you. I think, 
and I think the sort of monastic stuff as well it's well you know again it's for me it was something that I didn't know a lot about when I a, a few years ago and something I've, I've discovered lots more treasures within it so it's 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 great just to it's great just to hear different people's journeys and stories and what what enables them to to because because I think the more and more I've gone on that I've the the more and more I realise I've, I've got stuff to learn from different people's journeys, different people's experiences, and um, and, and to, to be inspired by other people. So, so thank you. That's been a, a real, real blessing. Should we just have a little, little prayer to, to wrap up? Uh, Andy, can, can I finish us off in prayer? Because yeah, I've, got, I've got Franciscan blessing. That'd be brilliant, and, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd really like to bless everybody with this, if that's okay. Yeah, I warn you, it's a bit disconcerting. I think I might know the one, I think I might know the one you mean. You, you might do. Yeah. So, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. And the blessing of God who creates, redeems and sanctifies be with you and all who you love and pray for today and forever. Amen. 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 Thank you, Hilary.